Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by Alex Stoyle, a sports psychologist who I cannot wait to talk to about all things sports psychology. Alex, how the devil are you? I'm good, thank you, Chris. How are you? I'm really well, and I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to our chat. Um, let's start off by talking about your credentials, firstly as a sports psychologist and secondly as a Spurs fan. Um, so you are a, a PhD candidate doing a professional doctorate in sport and exercise psychology. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, so doing that down in, at the well, University of Portsmouth, although obviously given the situation at the moment, I'm actually not there very much of the time. I'm, I'm London based and doing remotely. Uh, yeah, and I have just come, I've, I've got a master's in sports and exercise psychology uh, and a master's in general psychology as well. Um, and I'm currently yeah, doing that professional doctorate, which is uh, a sort of, yeah, between a sort of three and six year path uh, to becoming uh, a fully qualified sort of uh, yeah sports and exercise psychologist. Uh, along the way, I do sort of supervised training, uh, and I'm my sort of area of research within that is around sort of uh, choking and and performance under pressure. So, in other words, uh, bottling it, and potentially we can yeah you could maybe draw some conclusions about my my lifetime of being a Spurs fan and my desire to go into the subject of, of yeah, choking under pressure. Um, so far, none of my research has actually included the word Spursy, but you know, you should see. there's a, a, lo- a long way to go. So a, a, a one word thesis title, um, probably the first ever one word thesis title, just Spursy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, that was a beautiful, that was a beautiful segue. Um, so talk about your, your Spurs fandom, Alex. Yeah, so um, I've been a Spurs fan, well, basically uh, since my sort of early teenage years. Um, my dad was actually a, a, was from Plymouth, so he was an Argyle fan, um, but I was raised in London. So that was that was kind of would have been cruel and unusual punishment uh, in, in many ways, not least that, you know, home games would have been a sort of four or five hour drive away. Um, yeah. And so sort of started following Spurs, I actually through kind of a bit of uh, good luck my mum my actually won some tickets in a work raffle uh, to go and watch Spurs so my first game was was Spurs against Leeds um, back when I was about 13 I think um, and uh, yeah which kind of shows how old I am that you know it was back when Leeds were were up in the Premier League <laughs> before before this time around um, yeah and uh, now I'm a season ticket holder um, and yeah you know, can't wait to get back into the stadium once that's possible which it's looking more and more likely that that might be coming soon which is excellent news yeah absolutely absolutely um i I think it has been particularly tough on season ticket holders this isn't it because it's it's such a part of your routine um in in life um alex let's get straight into it there's so much to talk about but i I think firstly if you could give us a grounding in um sports psychology and and some of the background theory um particularly in relation i think to to your to your your thesis um but firstly we you you 
we've had a bit of a back and forth we've had a conversation before this and there's lots of interesting things have already come up that just wouldn't have occurred to me before I spoke to you um firstly you mentioned that people tend to see psychology as, as fixing weaknesses when actually it can be just as much about developing strengths yeah absolutely and I, I think yeah as, as you said that's that's probably quite a sort of common misconception about what sports psychology is and potentially you know that that's true of the sort of broader mental health you know mental well-being kind of concept that you know across not just in sport um but yeah i mean a lot of what we do you know it, it might be about sort of identifying areas that aren't particularly strong and then trying to improve those but certainly there's a whole realm of sort of positive psychology um which is about identifying strengths super strengths um either kind of individually or within a team um, and trying to sort of use those as a way of kind of, you know, to, to enhance those and, and actually sort of increase confidence, increase motivation and improve performance. Um, so, yeah, a lot of what we do kind of tries to to find a balance between those. And of course, it's it's not a sort of either or situation. Right. So, you know, if you're working with a team or working with an individual, there'll be a bit of both. You know, sometimes you'll be working on an area that, that they maybe consider a bit of a weakness and sometimes you'll be you know building up those strengths even more. Interesting. And um, we, we spoke about the concept of efficacy in individual and team performance. Now, you're, you mainly ex, um, have expertise in individual performance, but you've got some sort of background research in team performance as well. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so my my specific research on on choking is is more kind of targeted on individuals, uh, kind of indi- individual sports. Um, that's largely just because, you know, the as you can kind of imagine, if you're trying to decide whether someone has had you know a bad performance because of pressure it's a bit easier if they're just one person trying to determine you know whether one player in a team of 11 has choked or not is is really difficult because their performance is going to be so dependent not just on themselves but on their teammates and also obviously on on the opposition you know and I guess kind of uh, for me, like a, a classic example, example of that might be like the the Ajax, you know, game in the Champions League, right? Like, would you say was that an amazing comeback by Spurs in the second half, or was that you know Ajax choking or bottling it, whatever term you want to use, you know? But then also, if you try to then pick out individual Ajax players to say like, oh, he choked but he didn't, or whatever, you know, that would be very very complex as a sort of uh, kind of a, a design for some research. So generally, I you know I like to look a bit more at least for now in those kind of individual sports just because it helps sort of clarify that mm-hmm. um but within that you know there are certainly some sort of concepts that would be would be you know are applicable to you know any athlete whether you're talking individual sport or or, or team sport um that sort of come back to sort of ideas um around you, you mentioned the word efficacy there so efficacy is is a, a sort of fancy word for kind of self-confidence uh, that we use in sports uh, sports psychology and that's really an idea it's it's slightly more nuanced than self-confidence it's basically a confidence that you can do the the processes you can execute the bits and pieces that will give you the result or the performance that you're looking for um and that's definitely a, a theme that will will come up uh, a lot it's about sort of breaking down performances into the sort of constituent parts the components um another sort of very common uh theme within the work that I do is, is an idea, uh, a technical term called reinvestment. And this is, that's basically an idea that, you know, uh, and, and for kind of uh, for a decent example is sort of imagining yourself as a, a learner driver. When you're learning a, a, a new skill, right, if you're 
driving a manual car and you're trying to remember to engage you know you just want to change gears right and that sounds easy enough when you say it as an experienced driver but when you're 17 or whatever and you're trying to remember to engage your left foot then you've got to move the gear stick from here to there and then you've got to engage the pedal you know the accelerator and then you've got to really you know it's really complicated set of different movements involving all your different limbs and you're still meant to be checking the mirrors and all the rest of it but eventually that becomes an automatic process and reinvestment is a technical term for basically when the opposite happens so it's you know if all of a sudden you're sitting there and someone were actually to say to you oh what processes do you go through when you change gears and you actually have to think about it for a second Mm. rather than just doing it in that sort of like natural automatic way it can become really hard um and you can kind of actually start to overthink it and all of a sudden you 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 know your gears are grinding or you've stalled out at the lights or whatever so um and the same thing can happen with with any sort of sporting skill um as well so it's it's the idea that actually in certain moments a skill that you know a player would be able to do automatically under most circumstances they actually are unable to do it uh and there seems to be a relationship between uh that reinvestment happening and sort of moments of of extreme pressure where you know obviously in that moment they're desperate to do it well and so they actually start to pay more attention in fact too much attention to the movements Mm. that they're doing Mm. so rather than just sort of sweeping the ball into the back of the net like they normally would be able to they're like okay right i've got to got to think about this i've got to get it right i've got to beat the keeper where am i going to put it and that causes that little breakdown of of that kind of automatic execution that's so interesting in fact yesterday i was having a conversation with someone about the concept of flow and we were debating mm-hmm. whether whether that is um, a thing. <laughs> uh, he he said that it is a, a term that gets misused. But my understanding of flow is that it's when you are in a state of mind where things are happening in such a sort of um, unthinking way. You 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 are in the zone, as it were. That in a that's a sort of colloquial way of putting it. And you're able to, like you said, with driving, you you can do it without thinking. You don't engage your brain. But you're you're being really productive. You're you're being all, all creative. You you're, you're in the zones. So your your flow is uh, in full flow. And my my friend that I was speaking to said, no, this is this is not really a thing. Um, in fact, I can't remember the reasons why he said it wasn't. But he disagreed with the entire concept. But what you've just described there sounds like you're trying to take someone from a sort of um, overthinking mechanical. Uh, it's a bit like when you when you think too much about your breathing suddenly you can't breathe properly and and i'm sure having just said that people now have problems breathing because it is such a it's such a weird thing that the second you start to focus on it it becomes unnatural um and trying to then take someone back into the zone must be really difficult yeah absolutely and and i will say uh you know between (laughs) you and your friend have have stumbled on a an area of research so there is there is specific research into flow um as a concept um i'm not super familiar with all of the sort of nuances of it but i know that there are many different sort of and and quite kind of long and detailed different definitions of what flow might be um i think that's where we were that's where we were coming across terms because we were both defining it in slightly different ways that was the problem (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah no it's and you know um I think actually that's that that also sort of touches on an interesting point in in that more broadly across sports psychology and probably across a lot of other psychology is yeah you know if you've got slightly differing definitions of of a concept because you you know you're trying to nail down these really quite complex potentially quite subjective experiences yeah. in sports psychology you're also talking you're trying to to generalize across multiple sports but 
obviously the, the characteristics of those are hugely different, you know, and it, and even sim, you know, the super simplistic way of sort of team versus individual. But I mean, the difference in a, in a competitive environment between a swimmer and a boxer, right? Those are both in, you know, individual sports, but those have very different pressures and psychological challenges yeah. and, and all the rest of it. So, um, but yeah, uh, uh, so coming up with a, a good solid, you know, universally agreed upon definition for some of these quite complicated concepts is, is, is a really tricky challenge. Um, and then also the, you know, the other challenge beyond that is then how do you measure that? Right. And so that's, that's a whole other sort of, uh, topic is okay right congratulations like we, we think we've now defined let's say flow or defined choking um but now how do we sort of determine whether someone is in the flow you know can we just do that by watching video footage of them do we have to interview them um a lot of psychology uh including sports psychology loves to use sort of questionnaires you know so can we formulate a, a really sort of uh, hopefully simple but you know comprehensive enough way of sort of getting someone to kind of say oh yeah i'm not answering these 20 questions and from that we can we can deduce whether they were in the zone or not um so that's yeah that yeah it's it's there's lots of lots of different avenues um of research into all of these sort of separate separate kind of subtopics you know whether that's flow state or or choking or mm. actually similar to sort of flow but but kind of slightly different is the idea of thriving as well so you know which is kind of seen as as maybe the opposite in some senses of of choking that you know you could you can either choke under pressure or you can thrive under pressure you know so what what are the differences there why might one person be more likely to to choke and go to pieces why would someone else you know really thrive under it and you can definitely think of lots of sports people who maybe fall into one of those categories or the other right um and and some people who've fallen into both at various points in their career you know um, a lot of the most extreme examples of choking you know thinking of my own my own research is you know people who are usually very very good very reliable you know best in the world it's when they have a shocker that it's most obvious potentially to a kind of an external observer as a as a sort of sports fan those are the people you can go oh wow something was really wrong there so interesting um i think we should talk a little bit about um <clears throat> how psychology is used in, in football uh, and i want to come back to the idea of building resilience and some of your some of your research as well um but, but just to sort of give us a baseline and i think it's useful starting at academy level because we had an interesting conversation about this pre-record um how, how do clubs use some of this stuff yeah so i mean i think um uh, you know worth yeah so at academy level um all category one academies and and you know tottenham's academy is category one it's you know one of the best in the country uh and all of those have to have a sports psychologist on staff um so you know that should mean that every single you know person who's come out of that uh, you know tottenham academy in the last few years you know which there are a few you know a, a good number of those um that you know they should all have some at least a kind of relatively kind of basic foundation in some of the sort of core sports psychology concepts as well as sort of some tips and tricks you know some of the sort of more fundamental tools that we use um that we can talk a bit about you know in, in a bit um but what i guess is also sort of interesting there and you know i i don't definitely don't want to suggest that this is happening at tottenham or or, or even at, at any academy but there is always a bit of a risk when you've got you know these hyper competitive environments and 
if you've got, as I said, you know, lots of these questionnaires that can kind of essentially measure certain psychological characteristics, right? If you've got 20 kids for every one place in the next, you know, next year above, or, you know, trying to make it from the under 16s to the under 18s, you know, there is potential, you know, there is a risk that those rather than administering those tests and sort of seeing that as an opportunity to improve that player, that young person's you know, whether it's resilience or their confidence or, you know, their ability to sort of handle, you know, competitive anxiety or whatever, rather than sort of seeing that as an opportunity to improve them, you might actually just screen them out. You might just sort of say like, oh, well, they've not got what it takes. That's a good enough reason to ditch them at this point. You know, and I suspect there's probably similar arguments in in any number of aspects of their performance not just the psychological ones that 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 probably is also happening at academy level right you, you have to make a determination about who who progresses through the system or not mm-hmm. um but you know I, I think that also just sort of speaks to a, a much broader point that you know sports psychology is is like any other sporting skill in, in, you know or, or collection of skills it is something that can be improved it can be developed strengthened you know so in the same way that you might look at a young player and go like oh well you know their first touch isn't what it should be but we can work on that we've got drills we can coach that you know or their positioning or whatever it happens to be you know the same can be done with with psychological aspects of their game as well um so i think that's just sort of an interesting point like i said i i don't want to suggest that that's that's widespread but there is i think people are concerned that it, it could be used you know for for those purposes it's a um, really interesting point. I, I, I mean, I even see. So, so I think we all assume we are all guilty of sometimes of just assuming a player is a player and they're fixed and that's them forever. And, and not just in terms of psychology, but in terms of any attributes. And I, I've been guilty of that in the past many times that just assuming that a player can't be improved. And it's such a it's it's such a sad way to view a player. I mean, a player should be seen as coachable in all elements of their game. And, and you see this phrase weak mentality thrown around about players. That player's got a weak mentality. He'll never be elite, that sort of thing. Or or even worse than that, sort of um, smears about their personality. I remember Marcus Edwards had so much um, smearing of his personality uh, across the board and people just assumed that he wouldn't make it as a pro. He'd, he'd go down the route of Ravel Morrison, who's a, a player that is mm-hmm. often held up as the wrong way to be as a footballer um, i don't think there's some that's probably a fair comment in, in many ways but um it's not fair to com- compare players in that way and you should see you know look at marcus edwards now look what he's doing in in portugal he's having a, another fantastic start to the season uh and clearly wasn't a lost cause he just needed some support and some changes to be made and and now it's working um so i do, I do think it's a really interesting point about uh, thinking too much about players just being what they are and not thinking about their potential and I presume that's quite a lot of what sports psychology is about it's about unlocking potential and um and that will be ultimately what your job will be in the future yeah and I I think one really important point you know talking particularly about those sort of younger players and academy players and whatever is that is is to bear in mind that you know just like the physical body the brain develops and it develops at different rates from one person to another right so in the same way that you might have a you know, a 13 year old who's six foot two, but, you know, another person might not grow until they're 17 or whatever, you know, you might miss out on an opportunity for a good player if you just kind of judge them at the age of 16 and and kick them out because one's not tall enough. Mm. Um, But that, you know, the, the brain development is actually 
can be quite different, right? So you might look at someone and they might be sort of physically mature, look, mm. you know, have all their sort of, you know, kind of full grown kind of uh, strength and attributes and all the rest of it. But the, the brain can take up until the mid 20s to, to fully develop. And, you know, so when you're talking about, you know, and when you think about that, I mean, uh, we're recording this the the day after the Ludogrets game when, um, you know, we had, I think by the end, you know, there were only kind of three players on the pitch who were over the age of 25, right? So that means that the vast majority of the players on that, on, on for the team there, they'd have all been potentially, none of them would have a, a, fuzzy, a fully developed brain, you know, an adult brain. Um, and there are, you know, that's not to say that there are sort of anything wrong or, you know, any kind of yeah uh, sort of detriments or anything that's wrong with that kind of adolescent brain but it does just sort of function slightly differently and Mm -hmm. that's really important as well so um one of the things that's kind of particularly uh acute or kind of yeah uh, important in in adolescence and i think a lot of people can probably uh sort of reflect on this in their own experiences but is is your your place among your peers suddenly gains huge amounts of importance so all of a sudden you know when you think from a coaching perspective what that might mean it's sort of things like you know if you call them out publicly and that embarrasses them in front of their peers in front of their friends that will probably be more hurtful than you know and more demotivating you know all of the sort of negative side effects that might come from that are probably going to be more acute in someone who's still in that sort of adolescent brain stage and when you think about potentially some of the things that happened with some of these younger players as they come up and they maybe get a little bit of limelight early on then you know managers or press or fans or whatever turn on them when they don't immediately become you know Lionel Messi overnight right mm. uh, and and there was a Messi comparison I think with Marcus yeah, Edwards yeah, which was, was. A, potentially un, unhelpful amounts of pressure but you know when when they don't immediately you know win the Ballon d'Or the next year um, fans turn on them and that if you're you know that's gonna be hard for any player at any stage of their career I'm sure but you know particularly in that point where you're you're kind of really craving that acceptance from teammates from peers from friends you know finding your place in the sort of the the pecking order um that's really yeah going to be pretty unhelpful um so i think that's just sort of something to bear in mind and 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 as i said you know we we tend to i think we tend to look at sports any kind of sports people but you know particularly footballers we kind of just assume that they're all the same um which you know and 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 we tend to sort of treat them in a slightly inhuman way we tend to assume they don't really have thoughts and feelings um but of course they do but also that you know i think as you said we tend to kind of assume that they are quite sort of set in stone um which which just may not be the case you know even established players in the premier league if they're still only 23 24 25 they still may not be fully kind of developed and into that sort of adult brain state it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And what you're describing is is really complex. And Spurs have got a large squad. Many Premier League teams have got large squads. And this must be tremendous work for for all the staff at the club do you do you get a feel for how many psychologists there are at Premier League clubs do you do you have any information on that or is it not quite is it not really transparent so it's not very transparent my understanding is I and I, I don't I should you know clarify I don't have any direct uh sort of connections at at Tottenham um I don't believe they have a full-time psychologist working with the senior team so they'll definitely have someone working with the academy, um, but they won't. But to my un, to my knowledge, they don't um, don't have anyone with the senior team. That's not to say that they don't potentially have you know people come in on a sort of consultant basis to talk yeah. to the team. Um, it's also entirely possible that on an individual level, some of those players have sort of sought psychological support elsewhere. You know, basically sort of out of out of pocket um, mm. off their own back. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as I'm aware, there's no one there. There certainly are other Premier League teams that do. Um, and but I'm I think you know I've, I've, in in recent episodes there's been a lot of talk from you guys about you know why would a Premier League team not have a set piece specialist coach? I mean I, I sit here from exactly the same perspective. I'm like there are such minute details that yeah. that can transform a season why would you not have a sports psychologist on staff who could just be there to help, you know, working both on a team level, you know, so a lot of what I do is, is giving workshops to whole teams, you know, just trying to sort of build up a bit of a kind of, you know, some of the more basic fundamental tools and techniques, but, you know, also there just to sort of help out individual players, whether that's, you know, on a ongoing basis where they pop in every week for a set appointment or just to be there and and sort of Mm -hmm. listen. Um, and I think, you know, coming back to sort of what, what sports psychology is and does is it's, it's quite the way that I always frame it when I'm sort of first working with a client is that, you know, I am, I am their ally and I'm on their side, you know, so I will very much listen to their, their side of the story. Um, and I I think one of the things that's often, um, perhaps overlooked is that, you know, people can perceive a, a given situation very different ways, right? So if a player feels like they are being, picked on or singled out or whatever even if the coach doesn't feel that way that in some senses what the coach thinks of that situation is irrelevant to that player that player feels singled out feels picked on you know that's going to lead to a sense potentially of of feeling kind of demotivated unappreciated they're going to start wondering whether it's the right club for them the right manager whether they should be moving on these questions start to sort of seep in you know that that is the sort of ultimately that's the kind of the, the the most important thing for that player rather than whether or not the coach actually said something that was particularly offensive or rude or whatever yeah yeah it's really interesting um so so it's, i'm fascinated in, in the idea of spurs not having psychologists and you're right one of my takeaways from the order nothing documentary was why don't we just have a team of psychologists who are literally in the dressing room before every game helping with some of the messaging 
because I, I did feel the players were getting mixed messages from the coaching staff at times. And, and I think it's really important to say at this point and caveat it by saying that we only saw snippets. It was very heavily edited. You know, we, we were bemoaning the fact that we didn't get to see tactical instruction, but I'm sure there was sort of psychological elements as well that we missed out on. Um, and so you're, you're stuck. We rather you're left analysing the, the, the fragments that are there. And perhaps it doesn't um, always show the coaching staff in the best possible light. But there, there must be a reliance then on the coaching staff having, I guess, um, training. Perhaps they have training or, or just some knowledge of, of sports psychology more generally. Do you, do you get a feeling as to whether coaches and managers know what they're doing in this respect? So I think that's a, a good question. And obviously, I think it, it kind of varies from from manager to manager. And I, your your caveat is, is, is an important one that, you know, even... You know, we, we very rarely see the the whole story. You know, the, the documentary was a, a really interesting insight to some aspects of life yeah. at Tottenham. But an awful lot was was left on the, the cutting room floor, I'm sure, and, and edited out. Um, but, yeah, I think it is interesting and certainly sort of seeing seeing what we did see um, was, yeah, was was an interesting kind of perspective. I, I was surprised that there wasn't more of a kind of that there was no evidence of of a sports psychologist kind of uh, working with the team um although there are potentially some confidentiality issues there True, right you, yeah. you wouldn't you know we are we are kind of bound by confidentiality so that probably would have been the only room potentially that didn't have the sort of fly on the wall camera in mm-hmm. um but i i think yeah you know more generally some of those those team talks and kind of thinking about some of the 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 topics that you guys spoke about you know in in some of the the, the watch along episodes that of the podcast that you did but I, I i also sort of picked up on on some of those points around just sort of the for me the, the the biggest question was around sort of uh making some of the sort of the the talk a bit more clearly defined um and potentially that's similar to the the, the ideas you had around sort of the the lack of tactical uh, instruction. Maybe there was more instruction, we just weren't seeing it. But, you know, terms like just sort of going out and being aggressive, you know, being passionate, these terms are kind of quite ill-defined. They're very vague. And one of the things that, you know, I think really at the the core of almost all sports psychology is is an idea of control. So what can you control? And and one of the easiest ways to think about this is to sort of you, you can imagine everything in your life falls into three circles. In the middle of that is is things you can directly control. So as a sports person, that's sort of turning up to training on time, making sure you're working hard, making sure you're doing all of the strength and conditioning, flexibility, rehab, nutrition, hydration, all of that kind of stuff. Then one level out from that are things you can influence. So you can kind of maybe move things in a certain direction, but you can't directly control them. And so things like squad selection probably fall in that. You can try and, you know, put on, you know, do the things that the coach has asked you to have a good relationship with them so that you hope that you get selected. But ultimately, that's the manager's decision. You can't change their mind. And then beyond that, there are things that you have no control over. And what's really important is sort of thinking about the aspects of that, you know, when you're sort of talking about setting goals and giving objectives or instructions to a team is like trying to think about which bits of those fall within each of those different circles um, and trying to sort of make sure that everyone is clear about what that means. Um, and I think that was the thing that was sort of most, um, I guess, sort of a bit surprising to me is, is using these very sort of vague um, 
potentially very motivating phrases, but they're, they're quite vague, right? And so going out and just being aggressive, I mean, does that mean he wants every match to be the battle of the bridge, you know, where we're going to pick up a dozen yellow cards and, you know, run the risk of being down to eight men by the final whistle and totally lose our heads? You assume not, right? Because that doesn't feel like a good way to, to win matches and, and win a league. So what does he mean by it? And I guess maybe over the course of the documentary, you kind of get a bit more insight into that. He starts sort of talking about sort of like intelligent bastards and kind of phrases like that. So there's, he's trying to sort of add a bit of nuance to it, but mm-hmm. um, it's still quite ill-defined. And one of the sort of really, you know, the most simple kind of go-to, ta- uh, go-to tools that sports psychologists use, um, and it's one that, that is, is kind of out there in the, the wider world as well, is, you know, when you are setting goals is, is this kind of the smart goal concept which uh, you know has has definitely crept into lots of kind of other areas of life it's sort of yeah. broken into kind of corporate world and all the rest of it as well um but you know one of the kind of key tenets of 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 that is sort of making sure that your goals are sort of so smart is specific measurable achievable relevant and time bound right and specific and measurable right like how are you going to specifically define aggressive or mm-hmm. specifically define playing with big balls or you know being an intelligent bastard let alone how do you measure it how do you know that you played a certain game as an intelligent bastard or not and as a as a player you know on a day-to-day basis you want to be able to sort of look back and know that you've you've achieved those things right that's why you set goals is that you can they keep you motivated in the meantime and then afterwards you can look back and you get a sense of achievement yeah, that yeah. spurs you on to keep to maintain that focus and maintain that motivation so coming off the pitch and going well i i think i played like an intelligent bastard but i don't know for sure that's you know that that can be quite you know quite a tricky thing as a player if you're sort of trying to trying to gauge that and trying to sort of derive a sense Mm -hmm. of motivation from it it's really interesting and i think what you're saying is right that it could be motivational to players um but uh, there's an element where if if a little bit more was put in there it could be so much more the the, uh, it could be disproportionately having a a positive impact right um there's a couple of other things i just want to pick up on briefly alex around the all or nothing stuff now we i wasn't intending to do a deep dive into all or nothing this is this is fascinating me so why not um this this idea that Mourinho, one of his mantras was we need to cope with the pressure or cope with the situation we're in uh is that is that something that's cause that seemed like quite an unusual turn of phrase to me it didn't seem like a sort of proper football man thing is that something from the world of psychology yeah so coping is definitely a sort of sports psychology concept um and you know one of the ways of sort of thinking about you know whether you have the ability to cope with a certain situation is you know there's almost like a sort of a formula it's kind of past experiences where you may have dealt with something similar um or at least something similar enough that you can kind of transfer it but also a belief in yourself that you have the tools in that moment so that you have the resources on hand so past experiences and the resources you have available to get through whatever situation you have in the moment and coming back to the the idea of efficacy that we met that we sort of spoke briefly about earlier like efficacy really plays into this so that that's the idea of this sort of self-confidence um and one of the bit the the research around efficacy has really shown that focusing on sort of positive outcomes is really helpful in those moments so um you know there is a there's a moment in the documentary where you know uh, Mourinho puts up he puts up a video of all of the goals that the team have conceded and you know uh, 
an- another important caveat i've won precisely zero major footballing tournaments <laughs> um you know I've, I've never won a league so clearly jose has an awful lot of experience and an awful lot of success behind him but to me that feels like potentially the opposite of what i as the sports psychologist would have been suggesting doing um you know that potentially if you're you know if what you want to do is you want to sort of talk to a team and you want to say like listen we're going to work on closing out games you know what you would do is you would potentially show them footage of games where we had successfully done that you know and yes it's very easy to go uh, yeah but it spurs that never happens you're you know <laughs> with, with bottle jobs whatever but you know that's not true you know we we held on against Man City in the Champions League a couple of seasons ago. Like we, we have had games where we have been really under the cosh. We've been under sustained pressure and we have got the result we wanted. Show footage of that and, and that will give the team a bit of a sense of like, yeah, actually, you know what? We, we have had games where we've come through. We have those past ex- experiences to draw on that suggest we will be able to cope under pressure in a similar situation in the future. Um, and I think one of the other sort of potentially interesting angles just around sort of the way the way Mourinho kind of arrives at the club is you know the basically the first thing he sort of starts saying is like you guys are too nice and there's a pretty he doesn't explicitly say it but there's a pretty clear kind of message if you read between the lines of like and that's why you haven't won anything you know you're 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 too nice to close out games you're too nice to sort of kill off opposition and I guess if I had been the sports psychologist working at Tottenham for you know prior to that I would have been doing an awful lot of work in trying to essentially sort of remove the Spursy label and I suspect that's what the players have been doing you know previously right getting ever closer to winning major competitions and and trophies and all the rest of it but not quite making it but you would you would try and shake off that label you would try and find the evidence to suggest that you're not Spursy you're just you know you're getting there it's a process and and you've just not quite reached the destination a a project was you know how how a potch you know almost always referred to it right and Coming in and sort of almost confirming the label of Spursiness certainly felt very high risk to me um, because you've probably got players, you know, the longer standing players who've been in that dressing room for a long time will have been doing a lot to try and essentially discredit the idea that they are Spursy. And then you get Jose Mourinho, one of the most successful coaches in world football, comes in and goes, well, your problem is you're very Spursy. It's kind of not the most helpful way of shaking off that, that attitude. Again, worth mentioning, I've won precisely zero, <laughs> zero trophies, but it, it certainly seems like something that might cause a little bit, certainly of a, of a step back. And I don't know whether, you know, if you were being particularly speculative, you could maybe say, like, maybe that's why we didn't have particularly great performances. And there were certainly some performances we seem to sort of throw away in those, you know, early games where, where Mourinho was in charge. You know, but, you know, I, I, I think there were potentially ways of kind of, framing a message along those lines but framing them in a more positive way and and again that's a sort of a really core concept in in sports psychology you know from very basic things of you know if you're talking about you know if if there's a certain bit of technique that you want to improve is you know framing it more like if you do this you will see this benefit rather than you currently do that and that's why you make that mistake uh-huh. yeah and 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 at the very core of that is, I mean, you know, the, the sort of classic example is the sort of, you know, if I say, don't think of the pink elephant, the first thing that happens is you think of a pink elephant, right? So if I say, don't miss, you think, oh, God, what if I miss? And mm-hmm. so, you know, you know, even sort of instructions of kind of like you know, when telling kind of, you know, 
coaching people to sort of focus on on penalties you know that they will think more about sort of like okay think about putting it in the top corner or you know just tucking it inside the, the post or whatever rather than trying to frame that as just make sure you don't put it outside you know or just you know make sure you don't miss the target all of a sudden you've put that negative thought front and center and you know that works on both that kind of micro level of sort of in that moment but it but it also can work kind of longer term you know if you're if you're sort of constantly reminding people of the sort of this is the negative thing i don't want you to be anymore um that that can actually sort of almost almost backfire i guess all players will have um different thresholds with how much this will affect their games as well there's it's not going to be some players will be a lot more naturally resilient than others um so so wouldn't be necessarily undermined by particular use of language and um, that was really interesting alex you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark for production thanks to bardi for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork thanks to david lindmer for our intro music you can find him on twitter at davy shambles and his soundcloud e lindmer do check him out he's great follow us on twitter and facebook at the extra inch Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.